Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio-Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Leverage Masters. I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Graves, the co-founder of The Leverages, and Divisio, D-U-V-I-S-I-O.com, the all-new ultimate leverage platform. Along with my co-host, Jack Humphrey, we have got a fantastic show lined up for you guys today. How are you, Jack? Great. How's everything in sunny Florida? Does it feel like winter there? Uh, no, not even a little bit. It'll be a, a really chilly 79 degrees here today. Have you seen our oh, eagles one. that recently laid two more eggs? Yeah, I mean, you just don't think of anything laying eggs this time of year, but then again, you are in a weird part of the world that doesn't experience winter <laughs> like we do up here. I don't even think about eagles laying eggs at this time, but I guess they can. They usually lay them, like, this week, a little after Thanksgiving. This year they laid them before Thanksgiving. So we should have eaglets right around Christmas. We have May McCarthy on Leverage Masters today. Since 1982, May has co-founded co and helped to grow seven successful companies as large as $100 million in annual revenues. She's an author, speaker, university lecturer, and angel investor. She serves on business, philanthropic, arts, and university boards. As an advisor, she serves graduate students through the Innovation and Entrepreneur Center at Albers MBA program at Seattle University, as well as entrepreneurs in the WIN, Washington Innovation Network Entrepreneur Mentoring Program. She credits her success to her daily practice, and it is her passion to pass her knowledge on to others. May is the author of the best-selling The Path to Wealth, Seven Spiritual Steps for Financial Abundance. May, welcome to Leverage Masters today. Oh, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Well, that was a, a grand introduction, but we always have to start where everybody else always has to start, and that is, with all of that, what's really exciting to you right now? What is your what is your thing that gets you out of bed in the morning today? Oh, boy. Well, I actually just finished a second book that's going to come out in March, so that was a lot of fun, putting that together based on, gosh, the thousands of people who have given me feedback over the years on the path to wealth and their use of it. Um, I uh, added a few more things to make it a little more meaningful and to address some of the things that come up in all of our lives as we're achieving goals. Uh, so that's what I love to do is help people succeed. That's what gets me up in the morning. Awesome. Awesome. Well, tell me a little bit more about how that happens in your world, because that can mean an awful lot of things to an awful lot of people. But what, is that, what does that look like um, when you're doing some of these things in the, you know, the universities, the students with, you know, gosh, I hardly even know where to pick something out and where to begin. So you're going to have to help me. You're, you're too diverse and too, <laughs> too big. <laughs> Well, um, my my background is I gosh, 
when I was six years old, I started my first company in our family as the last of 10 children growing up on the beach in Hawaii. Um, one of the things my parents told us uh, is that if we wanted any money, we had to go out and earn it. And that if we saw a problem that needed to be solved, it may be an opportunity to create what they called a fair exchange of value. And we had lots of examples of that. My dad would give away free health care as a doctor and in return would get fresh food and clothing for 10 children and all sorts of different entertainment options. And at the end of the year, he always commented that he received so much more than he gave as a result of creating a fair exchange of value and meeting people where they were. And so we, uh, as kids, took that to heart. And I remember at six years old seeing a problem on our beach, which was that there was nothing cold to drink. There was, It was a private beach, and there were no facilities. And I thought it would be nice to offer something for sale that could refresh people that were sitting out on the beach. And my mother taught me about uh, cash flow and cost of goods sold, and I also learned a interesting lesson from my brothers about inventory shrinkage <laughs> when they would literally <laughs> eat my profits. <laughs> um, but I, it was an interesting journey to learn how you could create fair exchanges of value um, in operating a business. So that interests me. I had a few more businesses in, in school, in high school, and went off to college and started my first of seven um, at 19, grew that to about 250 employees while I was going to school full-time. And again, it all came back to creating a fair exchange of value with other people. And if you see a problem and you can create a valuable solution that they're willing to exchange money for, then you're doing a good job. And I love going into classrooms. I love helping the universities put on their business plan competitions. And in the Washington Biotech and Biomedical Association, I also mentor uh, small companies that are coming out of research organizations, uh, primarily in the life sciences industry, because these are really brilliant PhDs that have come up with great ideas, but they lack the business acumen and experience to really take it to the next level and having built, you know, successful companies over 35 plus years, um, I love being able to help these companies avoid some of the mistakes that I made and go on to become really successful and employ lots of people and do good work in the world. So that's, that's how I spend my time in addition to traveling around and speaking as a professional speaker and putting on workshops, and I have a lot of independent consulting clients that are either business owners or executives in companies uh, who just need some some accountability and goal attainment strategies that will help them get to the next level. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty busy. <laughs> One of the things that, I mean, the way you opened that up and started talking about the wonderful basics of providing a fair fair value. How did you word that? Because it's like it's the basics, and everybody should know this, but it's been so long since I've heard anyone actually break it down to the very beginning of what business is all about. Yeah, I have a, a really strong belief in um, this idea of giving and receiving. 
And I think that if you are really searching for a solution to people's problems, or or you could even provide a convenience. I mean, we're all walking around with with smartphones, right? I mean, that's a convenience. We don't have to carry around giant computers with us. We we now have them conveniently uh, with us at all times. So, you know, either providing a solution to a problem or a convenience that people are willing to have a fair exchange of value with. I mean, there's 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 nothing worse than feeling pressured by somebody who just wants to make a sale. I mean, we've all been in that situation where they're just doing whatever they possibly can um, to pressure you into making a sale. The sale is more important than you are. And I, it's my belief that, that long-lasting success cannot happen for people that do that. But if you really have no. a, sincere, a sincere desire to create something that's going to solve a problem or provide a convenience, and it's a fair exchange of that solution or that convenience for money or whatever else you're you feel is fair in return, then long-lasting success, I believe, is possible. It seems like the complication arises when people either don't have their hearts in the right place, like the people who have to feel like heavy-duty salesmen or something, or or have not really you know, thought about or come up with an idea that would be something that would be on the surface, worth someone paying for in exchange for that good or service. And because, you know, <laughs> there are tens of thousands of books out there on business and marketing and things like that, it would make you think if you landed here from another planet that what we've come up with is a system that is radically complicated and very difficult to understand given the fact that we have universities teaching like crazy all kinds of, you know, the MBA programs and the and the books and the and, and all the consultants and coaches and people are out there that are trying to help uh, people with business and coming up with ideas or getting their ideas to market or uh, it seems really complicated but to hear you talk is so refreshing because if you have the goods if you bring the goods if you're really in it for the right reason and you and your heart's in the right place and you're really thinking about that fair value exchange then it seems really simple. Then I start to picture when someone succeeds and they get on a, a, a Tim Ferriss' show or something and they get interviewed, um, the guy who started Zappos. It looks so simple because when he had his idea, everything else seemed to fall into place. And I know it can get more complicated than that, but it, when you see people who are on the other end of the success spectrum and they have really you know, done it, when they get interviewed or when you read about them, when they tell their story, it all seems rather simple, which belies maybe some of the complication that can arise <laughs> during the process of bringing something to market and becoming wildly successful. But their stories seem simple, I think, because they are more simple because they didn't have to they didn't have to try to force something to a market that didn't really understand what the value of it was in order to just create a business that would be profitable. They created something out of a really, really good idea that people could see right off the bat that they wanted to be a part of, that they wanted to give their money for that exchange. 
And I love that. I, I think that that's one of the coolest things about what you're saying is it's just so simple, or it can be. Is, am I being too uh, oversimplistic about this? No, I think that that most really successful companies have answered the question, uh, you know, what problem am I trying to solve or what convenience am I trying to create? And they take a lot of feedback from customers and continuously pivot and tweak their businesses. Practical application and practical knowledge, you know, having the skill sets and the risk-taking characteristic is very, very important. And I do not discount that for a moment. There are there are entrepreneurial characteristics, including risk-taking and passion and vision and tenacity. And, I mean, these things are, are uh, require you to do things that a lot of normal employees who want a secure job would be unwilling to do. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I hear entrepreneur stories and I hear them saying, oh, yeah, I've put – you know, payroll on my credit card or I put out a second or third mortgage mm. on my house in order to fund this startup, I'm I'm nodding my head going, Oh yep, uh huh, I did that or you're you're, you know, freaking out because you don't know if that one important customer is gonna pay you on time in order to meet your your uh, payment commitments to vendors. I mean, the startup and growing a business process Although you can have that simple attitude of a fair exchange of value, that's part of your business plan. You, you hopefully you've you've identified that and been able to to determine based on your market research that yes, in fact, customers will exchange value for you. But that does not negate the fact that you've got to survive, and you've got to have practical yeah. business knowledge and entrepreneurial characteristics. So that part is not so simple in terms of uh, it being it, – it's not a path that everyone should follow because it does require a lot of risk and, and some out-of-the-box visionary <laughs> thinking. It also requires, you know, the ability to pivot if things are not going right. I can remember starting businesses and recognizing after we got started that, wait a minute, I need to pivot. This business model is not going to be able to support itself. I need to add something. Can you, can you give an example of, of what that's like to give people a feel for the decision that you needed to make, sure. that you have sure. the awareness to make? Absolutely. So back in 2000, uh, actually it was um, 1991 to about 2001, um, my uh, business partner and I had an idea that uh, we had gotten home from an overseas trip and recognized that our telephone bill was more expensive than staying in this five-star hotel. I mean, the hotel room was less expensive than the telephone bill, and it was just shocking to us. And uh, this was long before we all walked around with, you know, free international calling in our pocket. So the the requirement overseas was that you had to use whatever local phone company existed in whatever country you were calling from. And they could pretty much charge whatever they wanted, and every country had one major phone company that often was government-owned. 
So deregulation had not taken effect overseas yet. And we thought, this is stupid. This is atrocious. This is a problem. I wonder if we can come up with a solution. And and my business partner thought of a solution. He thought that what we should do is create a reverse calling. So he uh, went. We went into the office. He had retired from one business and had a developer on staff because he knew he would come up with something new. And he told his developer about the problem and what he wanted to do. And by the end of the day, we had a prototype. This guy was brilliant. So what you would do is, let's mm-hmm. say you're in um, South Africa, and you or Saudi Arabia, and you want to make a call to the United States. You would pick up the phone, call a United States number that we provide to you. You hear it ring once, and you hang up. That's an incomplete call, so you're not charged. But our telephone computer equipment would see that you tried to call in on your unique number, and we would call you back from the United States and give you a United States dial tone to call anywhere else in the world at United States rates. So what that would mean is we could cut your phone cost by up to 90%. Wow. We solved a very serious problem, but our pivot was that we were just billing people for their usage. And that was not allowing us to grow very fast. So what we had Uh to do was determine in advance what they were going to save on their, if they were spending $4,000 a month on phone service, then we and we could save them, let's say, half based on calling from Germany. Then what we would require is a $2,000 deposit up front, and then we would bill them. So we used other people's deposits to grow our company because we couldn't sustain Ah. all this volume um, and finance it ourselves. And they were happy nice. to do well, that. I had all the U.S. embassies and everybody signed up on the program. We grew that to about $120 million in annual revenues. Wow. Well, you recognized you needed to pivot. It's a, it's a neat solution that you came up with because were you worried at all that, that okay, we want to charge a deposit. Is this going to work? Were you guys scared for a minute that that might not have been received as well as it obviously was? Well, that was one of the problems in in our decision to start charging deposits. One of the biggest problems was that we had to spend an exorbitant amount of time educating people on how this worked. No one had ever done Mm. it before. We had to yeah. we placed we placed advertisements in the International Wall Street Journal, International Herald Tribune, um, you know, other international papers and people would look at it and go, What? So we had to spend a lot more money on educating. And we hadn't originally planned on doing that. We thought everybody would get hmm. it, that everybody would just understand, oh well, all we're doing is reversing calls. But that was so um, unexpected, and and they had nothing to be able to compare it to because it didn't exist. Mm-hmm. It was brand new. With brand new technology, it can sometimes take longer to educate people, and that's where we realized right. we're going to run out of money if we don't do something in order to accommodate this unexpected 
happening, which was the education piece. Then, of course, you know, as with every successful company, you get competitors that start to enter the marketplace. And we welcomed the competitors because that meant that we didn't have to educate everybody ourselves. As they were spending advertising money and making this callback idea more obvious and and uh, easier to understand, it was helping our business to grow. Yeah. Wow. So there's probably, you know, there's some nail-biting situations I could see <laughs> going on oh, yeah. during that. Like yeah. watching your baby, you know, kind of heading toward a cliff, and but knowing it, that if you come up with something in time, there's no danger but it's a dangerous thing to watch your baby head toward a cliff going, we're going to run out of money <laughs> if right. we don't think of something. Right. And so how and did I'm everybody, not... how did you guys, how did you okay. pitch that? How did you, how did you, um, how did you sell that to, to the people? Because it's not, you, it doesn't sound sexy enough to me to say something like, we're running out of money because we need to educate you so much, so we need to give you this, you know, you need to start doing deposits or we need to just deposit for this reason. You had to come up with something to make it um, exciting and palatable to people, right? Well, we were still young enough that if people wanted to save, I mean, the deposit was, was fully refundable to them if they ever decided to leave the service. Mm-hmm. And they could also... Uh, spend up to that deposit limit. So that was not something that was unusual. I mean, if you sign up for, you know, cable TV service, you have to pay Mm -hmm. a certain amount in advance. So you're always paying for the next month's service before it happens. So this was sort of like a prepayment. And we didn't, that that was not difficult to sell at all. Right. Because you were also dangling a pretty juicy carrot, which was yeah, that with, saving. saving half. I mean, we had customers that were spending 100000 300000 a month, and we were able to cut their bill in half. So they were spending, you know, they're sending, saving $300,000 a month. It was a big deal. Wow. Yeah. So, okay, I wanted to, I'm looking here at your books, and uh, it's really kind of neat that your book that's coming out in March is already in Amazon. It's already in Google <laughs> Search under your name. It doesn't I know. have the cover showing on the search result yet, but it is showing on on Amazon. And then it says March. And yeah. so I was looking at the, all the different things from Path to Wealth. That was your, your first book. Is that your first book? Yeah, it, I, I actually was teaching the the uh, what's in the Path to Wealth. I had been teaching it uh, at the request of some groups. Really, it's goal attainment strategies that rely on intuition, much the same as Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Oprah Winfrey, Albert Einstein, you know, and the list goes on. You know, we all believe that there's, you know, intuition that will show up and point us in the right direction if we're very, very clear about our goals and the outcomes that we want to achieve. And, you know, there's a a success system that you can implement as part of a daily goal planning strategy. So Path to Wealth goes over that. And uh, I was really quite surprised when it came out. It actually made it to number two on Amazon's bestseller list in personal finance. 
and it's it's not a personal finance book. It's not teaching you how to do spreadsheets or or um, you know uh, have growth projections and and you know specific financial measurements against them. This is a goal attainment mm-hmm. strategy book, and it was kind of interesting because I think when I saw that it made it that far in personal finance, which is a much, much bigger category than, let's say, you know, self-help or spirituality. Um, I, I, I thought, you know what, I guess people are ready to understand that there can be a fair exchange of value in business and you can achieve greater levels of success if that's part of your goal. So I am hired to travel around the world and speak and teach on those principles and, uh, some of the feedback that I received from the thousands of people that have been through my different workshops um, include, you know, the idea of when you have a goal that's bigger than anything you've ever experienced before, you know, maybe you have two or three more zeros on the end of your <laughs> financial goal or um, different than anything you've experienced before. You know, how do we handle that? Um, if we're not getting any intuitive insight should we just give up on the goal? And uh, the gratitude formula goes in a little bit more detail on how we can shift beliefs to be on par with these bigger goals that we want to achieve so that they become easily obtainable just like any other goal. You do know that you're a unicorn, right? Has anybody (laughs) accused you of being a unicorn? No. Because... Well, it's really weird how discussions you have with other people in a really short time frame match up with other things. Like, I was just talking to um, my, I don't know if you'd call him my guru, but <laughs> he's, he's, he's helped me an awful lot. And we were talking about his new program and what he wants to do to help people who are change makers to do more and leverage more and get more change happening in the world in the way that they want to do it. And we were talking and, and we were talking about, you know, what does this person, what is this kind of person? It's somebody who's already successful, who has something, a business that's, you know, generating revenue, doing well, but they have this nagging feeling that it's not going as fast as they'd like. It's not affecting as many people as they, they would like. They're not doing their, their big purpose as big and quickly as they want to. And I was just throwing around the idea that how many people are out there who you clearly came on with the credentials of, you know, business person, successful out there in a capitalistic society, coming up with ideas, growing really big companies, things like that, to see that your books are both. And I took your first book to be something more of a personal finance kind of thing. I just... (laughs) I, I made that assumption just as accurately as you knew I would, probably because of your research uh, and, and what's happened. You to, to to be talking about spiritual stuff and gratitude and the path to wealth and now what we understand what that really means, um, even if Amazon never did in its categorization, but that is really, really rare. And I was, I was telling him, this is, it's really, can people, in your opinion, be uh, spiritual? And I'm not saying anything bad about capitalism, business, or anything like that, but 
is it possible to be spiritual and notice then what's really truly important in life that has nothing to do with the illusion of what we do on the outside of our bodies, but really when people go inward, they seem to come back out sort of hippie-ish or sort of um, aloof <laughs> to things that used, used to really concern them greatly. And one of those things is we've noticed with a lot of business people, when they do a lot of spiritual work or inward-looking uh, work, they come back out and, uh, and a lot of times they struggle with what it takes to make their business go. Uh, at that point, if it hasn't already gone, if it wasn't already past a certain critical mass where they could come back out and continue to direct progress. But when it comes to sweating in the trenches and really getting down in there and doing it for the mantra that everybody learns, which is, you know, you put in this work, you grind, you do 24-7, you do all this stuff. I've found that a lot of people, once they do some inner work, come back out with no appetite whatsoever for that sort of thing, and they kind of start to get stuck because they still have the goals for their business. They still have all of those things that they remember that they wanted to do before they started the inner work, and now that they've done the inner work, they feel like, they're, I don't know, it's just really weird. Do you run into that? Because you are the unicorn, I have to ask you. You've, you've done both things successfully. Well, I, before I answer that question, I think it's important for you to understand what my definition of wealth is when I say the path to wealth. And for me, it's being whole and complete, lacking nothing in all areas of your life. And that's not just your finances, but the use of mm-hmm. your skills and talents in fulfilling ways and your uh, relationships and your recreation and the um, your work and your spiritual connection, whatever that may be. So so wealth okay. is is being whole and complete, lacking nothing in every area of your life. The the going inward spiritually I'm not exactly sure I even know what that means. Um because I I <laughs> I believe I believe um like Albert Einstein did that there is a, a a part of our our mind that he, he's attributed to having a quote that says the intuitive mind is a sacred gift and the rational mind is a faithful servant. It'll it'll pretty much do whatever we tell it to do. But somehow in society mm-hmm. we've created this culture that honors this rational mind or this servant and we've forgotten the gift. And when we have a question about anything, oftentimes what we'll do is Google it, right? We'll we'll look it up. We'll we'll gather as much information about, you know, the possible things that we could do in regards to that question. We talk to subject matter experts about it. We talk to our friends and our family and our coworkers about it. And we analyze every possible step that we could take regarding that situation, and we go one step further, and we think about every possible outcome that could come from Mm. every step that we take. And if we don't like any of them, what do we do? Nothing. We do nothing. Yeah. And so what I teach people on the path to wealth is you're not allowed to do nothing anymore, that there is this intuitive mind that can provide you with some directions if you're willing to do some things to enable it to show up more often. 
And one of the things that you need to do is every single day be very, very clear about your goals and word them as though they're already completed with gratitude. Um, I had a goal in one of my startups that I was so grateful that we now receive $400,000 or more by a certain period of time to grow our business, to serve more customers, to enable additional employees to work for our quality business, and to be able to support the growth of our suppliers and our vendors and everyone related to our business. All of us were satisfied and happy with it. All right, so there's my goal every single day. Well, I find myself in Cleveland, and I have a routine when I travel my 150 to 200,000 miles a year. I get off the plane, I get my bags, I get my rental car, I go to the hotel, and I drop everything off. And then I get back in the car, and I go to the closest grocery store to pick up water and protein shakes and things that I need for my stay. Well, it's 9 o'clock at night. I'm in the car ready to go to the grocery store that I know is five minutes away. I've been to Cleveland lots of times. So I'm, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden I get this very strong thought about a grocery store that's 15 minutes away. That makes no sense. And my rational hmm. mind, which Albert Einstein referred to, wants to tell me that. And it's doing everything it can to talk me out of paying any attention to that thought. It reminds me that it's 9 o'clock at night and that my appointment's at 8 in the morning, which is 5 o'clock in the morning Seattle time, and that I'll be too tired. Oh, and it's dangerous to drive across town in Cleveland at 9 o'clock at night. I mean, it's doing everything it can to talk me out of it. So what you need to do in that case is just say, stop. Hey, intuitive mind, do you got anything to say? Well, my intuitive (laughs) mind then gets a chance to pipe in. And it says, well, it's true, it's 9 o'clock at night, but it's only 6 o'clock in Seattle. It's too early for you to go to sleep anyway, and who knows? Maybe everything you want will be on sale. Just make the drive. So I did. As I'm walking into the grocery store, there's a guy walking out at exactly the same time. He is a decision maker for a giant potential customer that I met six months before at a trade show. He wasn't returning any of my phone calls or emails for an appointment, and here we are face-to-face. Before the end of our conversation, I'm invited to make a presentation to his group before I leave town. That leads to another and another and eventually a contract worth over half a million dollars. Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Albert Einstein, Oprah Winfrey, they all listen to that intuitive mind and say that it's part of the reason that they're successful. In fact, Steve Jobs said you actually had to have courage to follow intuition. We all have it. It's not reserved for just a few. We all have it. And what my books help people do is cultivate it and enable them to see that intuitive messaging more often in more obvious ways. But it works. I have countless stories. (laughs) And, and, And importantly, to trust it and trust in yourself to trust it. Right. I mean, like it's you, you might feel like you're getting a message or uh, a signal that's a very strong one. But that, how do you t- how do you teach people to trust that once well, comes, you've opened them up practice. to the idea of to look for it? Yeah, it comes it comes with practice. And if you if you get an intuitive hit 
and you don't understand it, just say, hey, (laughs) if this is from you, give me another lead. And see if, if, if it pops up again. If it doesn't, then it was probably a random thought. But I, I, I know that, I have lots of stories in my book about people asking for, you know, 20, 30, 50 confirming leads. And over the course of a period of time, they keep getting that thought about that person they should call or they keep getting an idea to go to this place. Or they see, uh, I even saw a billboard sign uh, that said your fortune will be made in San Diego, which was my 30th lead uh, request to do business with a company in San Diego that eventually their, you know, that five and a half billion dollar company ended up acquiring one of my companies. So back to my earlier point uh, or my earlier thing, I was, so this person comes, maybe does some spiritual stuff, reads a book, reads Eckhart Tolle, gets into meditation and lives in the now Mm. Some yeah. stuff, you know, and they start to come up with these. They they feel like they're uh, whatever they feel like. They're waking up a little bit to yeah. more of the truth of more of what's really real about this unreality that we live. Maybe what happens is when people go back, business people go, "All right, now I'm going to put my business hat back on. I know all this new stuff. I need to live more than now. I need to have gratitude." Uh, and when they look at the world that they left behind before they read the book and came back to it, maybe they feel ill-equipped to apply the same rules and, and work in a world with their new understanding. And maybe that might have something to do with their uh, n- newfound uh, you know, need for going with their intuition and getting those hits and trusting those hits that you call them. Is there anything maybe there that that's what's maybe slowing people down when they do a little bit of waking up and they come back and they're not they don't feel equipped to deal in this world that they left behind to go search for some some answers? Well, it could be it could be that when they left, they were operating in business a certain way, and when they came back, they would prefer to operate in a different way and their previous business doesn't line up with this new purpose or this this uh, new way that they would like to do business or, or the way that they would like to live their life. Um, yeah. Fortunately for me, um, everything about my personal purpose is always ingrained into my business purpose. Um, so... So for me, it, there's a consistency. I mean, I will walk away from a deal. I will tell a customer, we are not the right company for you to work with. And and they'll say, well, you should just do this and this and this and this. And if you do this for us, we'll give you, you know, $3 million or $5 million in a contract. And my response is, as much as I would love to do business with you, that's not the way we do business. And here are a few other companies you can check with, but but we're not the one for you. Now, if you decide later that this is a method that you would like to do that project and with this technology and this workflow process, which we have proven is is going to serve your needs much better, we're happy to do that. But we can't 
do quality work with a one-off in the way that you want, it's it, it won't work well and you'll hate us for it. So we're not the company for you. Well, sure enough, about 99% of the time, they'll call us up after checking with everybody else and maybe even contracting with another company and finding that exactly what we predicted came true. They'll call us up and say, would you, we're ready to do it. You guys are the experts. We're ready to do it your way. And it saved us from having, you know, terrible references and, and being the seeming cause of a problem when, in fact, it, regardless of who they chose, it was going to be a problem if they used that workflow process. So it may be that they came from a company that said, oh, yeah, we can do that, regardless of whether or not. They could. Maybe they weren't operating in integrity mm-hmm. 100% of the time. And after going away and, and del- delving deep within themselves and realizing, you know, this is such a small, small, small thing in the big picture of life, um, maybe they came back and thought, you know, I don't want to operate that way anymore. I I want to operate you know, with a different purpose and a different uh, level of integrity and a a different goal, which is to not only be successful, but to have all of my stakeholders successful as well. This is not a battle. This is not a we win, they lose. This is everybody wins. You know, that could be, that could be why they lose motivation. I don't know. Yeah, because, I mean, if they come out and they feel like they just don't know how to operate in, in a way that makes them continue that good feeling that they had as they were coming away from a really neat, maybe a retreat or, you know, book or whatever, and they, they or meditation. When they come out of meditation and they open up their computer and they look at it, none of the things that are happening on that screen make them feel as good as where they just were but they still have all the same goals for their business or what they want to do in the world. It's, it's interesting. It's funny that the problem of the week for me to solve uh, provided you today <laughs> to help us, help us do that. Because we know Gina and I work with passion-based business owners that are just like they care more about the thing that they want to bring into this world and do what they have brought into this world and giving it, you know, uh, wings and 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 really getting it out there as big as they can. More than anything else, they're not ch- typically not classically trained in business in any sense whatsoever, um, and and they have a hard time sometimes with this stuff. And you sound like I mean, if everybody uh, read your book, it, it it sounds like we found ourselves a guide along in this one particular area at least, probably many many others as well. Uh, but Path to Wealth would be uh, definitely recommended reading from <laughs> Leverage Masters because I know that a lot of our listeners uh, continuously struggle with this because in this world, even if you do carry forth in the way that you do with integrity, you run into everybody else in the world along the way who are doing business in different ways and not so much in integrity. Um, and, I mean, that constant having to choose do I do business with this person? Because if I do, I get to that person who I really want to work with and also is in integrity. But do I, do I feel like a sellout to work with the person to get to that person? I mean, we would always have to be aware. It's not just something that you can turn on the switch, right? You still have to deal in a world where you run into things that aren't the way you would do business, and you're always having to decide how you want to handle something or make a decision on something, right? 
Well, one of the things that I've done is I, if if that's my goal, which is to work with stakeholders who I value and who operate in integrity and um, that we can have a fair exchange of value, I, I make that one of my goals. I am so grateful that all employees that work for our company are the right employees and uh, operate cohesively and with integrity. And all others that would like to work for our company that cannot operate that way find their great job somewhere else. You could say the same thing about mm-hmm. vendors. I'm so grateful that all of our vendors and suppliers um, are appreciating our uplifting them in success by treating us fairly so that we can sell their products as part of our solution. Uh, we all treat each other with respect, and, and the perfect vendors show up for us to contract with under right terms and conditions. I mean, you can you can make those kinds of goals as part of your daily goal planning session where you're already describing the completed goal as, as already have happened. Now, the cool thing about that is that when something unexpected happens, like I can remember getting sued in that phone business, you know, by AT&T, MCI, and Sprint all at the same time, or in my last two businesses, getting sued by um, two giant Fortune 20 uh, companies that operate in healthcare. Unfortunately, in the United States, often if you're very successful, larger companies will sue you as a means to slow you down. And they don't even have to have any proof of you doing anything wrong. They can still sue you and hope that if other customers see that a lawsuit has been brought against you, that it will prevent or or dissuade them from doing business with you. Fortunately for us, in all of those cases, the customers really appreciated the value that they were receiving from us and appreciated the the appreciation we were giving them. So consequently, our sales actually increased, in one case, 35% mm. during the nine months of lawsuit that was going on. And we weren't prevented from operating, which is another sign that the person suing you doesn't have any proof, is if they did have proof that you did anything wrong, then you wouldn't be allowed to operate. So these were just competitive I, you know, it blips that people sue you when when you're doing well to slow you down. And in in all of those cases, it actually helped our business to grow faster. It was a, a nuisance, and I protected our employees as much as I possibly could so that they could operate their, you know, in their jobs without any adverse effect of of this lawsuit. I pretty much took it all on myself and then continued to use my goal planning session every single day as described in my books to proclaim a good outcome, a fast outcome, all my attorney's fees being paid for um, and, and, and so on. And all of our attorneys just shook their head and said, we don't know how this outcome happened. You know, we've done business in law for 40 years and we've never had you know, somebody that sued another company just drop it and then offer to pay all of the attorney's fees without there being an injunction. But I know this works. 
as long as I stay focused on what I want the outcome to be, somehow things line up to enable that to occur easier, that or something better. It just It's always worked that way if you stay focused. Now, if you stay focused on the problem, oh, my God, a Fortune 20 company is suing me. They're going to squish me like a bug. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to get squished like yeah. a bug. So you've got to shift your attention, shift your focus, trust that you're going to have the right people there to help you, um, make sure that you're staying focused, that you've got great attorneys that are, that, that are referred to you that, that can help you, who are familiar with these players. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Now, this you're not sure you're not... This is not rocket science. This is something that all of us can do. It's not difficult. It just takes a little distance. And you're... And you're not just an incredibly lucky person. Like, statistically, if you added all this up, not just the lawsuits, but everything, your path, your path to wealth, mm-hmm. it would, it, I don't know that there's a calculator big enough. You'd have to use one of those big IBM <laughs> computers to calculate the odds of you being this daisy chain uh, level of a lifetime of luck. It's just, oh, it's just impossible that it's luck. It's just impossible that it's like, oh, you know, because I know that a lot of people will listen or they'll watch something. They'll, they'll hear from a person like you, and, and that part of your brain, what, what, what did you call it earlier? There's a part of your brain that always tries to talk you. The rational yeah. uh, wants to talk you out of going across Cleveland at night in the car. Uh, there's people's rational minds are saying to themselves right now, oh, here's another one of those super, super lucky people in life that this stuff always just seems to happen for them. And I wonder how many examples the universe will have to throw at us before we just break down and realize that you have a system. You don't have luck. You really, this is a really proven thing. Because There's we two. keep throwing people like you at our audience. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there are so two. many more than we'd ever imagined. Yeah, there are two sayings that your audience can memorize. The first is that success is not a secret. It is a system. Success is not a secret. It's a system. And just mm. like you, if you were going to be a, a, a concert pianist or a um, professional athlete, every single day you are doing physical or what we call in, in the business world practical training, you know, you're learning accounting and learning how to manage cash and you're learning practical things. So there's practical training and there's mental training. To operate at the top level of your game, you need both. The second thing is that repetition reaps rewards. As you use this system on a daily basis, and you get familiar with the kind of success that you want to achieve and make it seem possible. Like, I, I, I'll have to, I'll be honest with you. There was no way I was ever going to be a writer. That was not in my cards. That was not something that I wanted to do. I had some very mm-hmm. strong beliefs against that. But I just used this system to not only proclaim that I was going to be a successful author, But in addition, I went out to find other people that were successful authors, and I started reading their stories. And as I continued to use the daily goal practice combined with making their stories familiar to me, 
you get to a point, like Muhammad Ali said, he said, you get to a point where you shift your belief into one of possibility. And once you're able to shift that belief into one of possibility, you start to notice more intuitive messages that guide you to take steps to achieve your goals. What a lot of people do is they create goals that are way beyond anything they believe is possible. And then they blame this this success system and say, oh, I don't get intuitive messages. It doesn't work. But it does work if you do the preparation, if you make what you want familiar, go and read stories, meet other people that are doing the same kind of thing that you want to do, that are having the success that you want to achieve. And when you do that, you'll, your brain will start to think, wow, if they could do it, I could do it. I mean, like Eckhart Tolle, you mentioned him earlier. His story, he used to sit on a park bench in Canada and talk to people about his ideas. And then slowly but surely became an author and got some wonderful, wonderful co- media coverage and exposure with Oprah. But, but his journey was an average Joe journey. And as I read his story and Jack yeah. Canfield's story and other people's story, I started to think, wow, if they could do it, I could do it. And then I started meeting people in grocery stores that were published authors. And I started meeting them at at different (laughs) events. I mean, they seem to be everywhere. It's kind of like when you decide to buy a car. You think about that car, you imagine that car, and then you start to see it everywhere. The same thing happens if you make what you want familiar. So repetition reaps rewards, and success is a system, not a secret. And you guys can learn so much more. Uh, I just bought my copy of The Path to Wealth. Sorry, I'm so late to the game. Uh, but it's funny how you, you didn't want to be an author, and the book came out in 2015, and you've just turned right around and have a book coming out in March called The Gratitude <laughs> Formula, which I will be ordering as well. Oh, and I cannot you. wait to dive into it. As I'm listening, and I'm listening, but as I'm listening, I'm also reading the reviews, and you don't have a single low review on your book. 99 super positive, awesome reviews, and, and I can't wait to feel like these people who have, uh, uh, I already do feel like some of the people who have reviewed the book. So thank you so much. This has been great. I never know what to expect on this show, although it's funny because I should just go ahead and expect it to be awesome because Always. people like you just keep coming to us and and so I'm just going to go ahead and do that from now on. It's going to always be awesome, and I don't know why until we get right into it. And today was no exception. So, May, thank you so much for being on Leverage Masters. Oh, thank you for having me. Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Black Book page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters. Thank you.